0: In this conversation, Jayaraman Raguraman, known as Raghu, who is the Senior VP of Digital Engineering and Tech Debt at Schneider Electric, shares his experience over the last 30 years of his career, from how he became a software developer to what were some of the driving factors for him to seek change and the varied experience that he has had across the world and what are his key approaches to getting things done. And he also talks about four key questions to ask oneself in deciding one's career. And finally, his perspective on the future of careers in IT. Listen on. Hi, Raghu. Welcome to the Software People Stories. First of all, Shiv, good
1: evening. Thanks thanks for inviting me. I look forward to this discussion. Uh, Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: This is something that I've been waiting for a long time because I know that you've been doing a lot of interesting things. And uh, we have been catching up occasionally but it's good to hear from you how it all started and how your career trajectory has been.
1: Oh, absolutely. Shiv. First of all, let me tell you that I, I enjoy listening to your podcast. Uh, I have subscribed to your blog and uh, I think uh, PM power and uh, you uh, bring in a lot of these human stories, which I love listening to when I was preparing for our talk today, uh, one of the things which I was thinking about is how did I become a software developer? So even today, after 36 years in this industry, I like to call myself as a software developer more than anything else, because that's what really is the passion I still hold in what I call the IT industry or the technology industry. Just to go back, uh, I came into this career by chance because uh, I was not a very good student during my 12th, 12th grade or high school. I So I ended up uh, going the path which most people did. So I did a bachelor's in science with physics and math. I was always very good at uh, problem solving. So I, I used to be very fast at anything with trivia or anything where you broke down a complex problem. And uh, I think I would call myself as being at the right point of time so when in the mid 80s when i finished my bachelor's of science i was really clueless on where my career is going to take take me ahead what's my career and i think my parents were worried i was worried because uh, yes i graduated in physics i had an opportunity to come to the u.s to do probably post-graduation but that didn't excite me too much on going into theoretical physics and working on it but during my last year in college uh, I took an elective called electronic instrumentation and there were two electives available. One was electronic instrumentation, another was computer programming. And the reason I had to take electronic instrumentation was that professor was known to my family And he wanted me to be part of that. So there was no way I could do the computer programming course in my last year because I knew the professor very well and he wanted me to be in electronic instrumentation. Hmm. So when I started doing this electronic instrumentation, you had to go and buy electronic circuits and you start experimenting with all the different gates, you know, the electronic gates and gates, or gates, and you start experimenting it. And then you have this half of your class is going to this computer programming course and excited about the professor and talking about uh, new programming languages and others and that was always a fascination but unfortunately I graduated without knowing what computers were but that was the year I think when I I, so after my graduation I decided uh, I did a residential program Uh, I today what you call a gap year I probably took a gap year without knowing I took a gap year I learned German as a language because I was learning it through college and I I had visions of probably becoming a language translator, and I I learned German and I also joined the postgraduate management program, but that was only in the evenings and the weekends. So it gave me a chance in the morning to do things. And this was the year in mid eighties, I think uh, you and. Uh, My sister's husband, Gopal, and I think was in the first generation of engineers, which uh, got involved with computers and software engineering. I probably was the second generation where the personal computer had just come into the Indian market. And there was the newspapers were filled with programming courses. Uh, do your programming course in basic do a programming course in COBOL and thanks to my dad he said why don't you try that I said okay so there was this company called I.T.M., which was formed out of the breakup of IBM which went away from India in the late 70s and they had a admission test for about 300 people and they were selecting 15 people to train them on the basic programming language so I attended that entrance test came third on it and I did this two-week full-time course on the basic programming language. That's how my my tryst with computer programming started because the interest was always there in the last year of college because my classmates was doing this were doing this computer programming. So I went and did this basic programming and did well in it and uh, learned the structure of what a computer program is and really worked hard those two weeks and became interested. So I decided, okay, now maybe I should learn one more programming language. So I learned to and then learned the COBOL programming language. And this is where uh, my first job started because when I went to this company, there was this gentleman called Jude DeSouza who was trying to sell, sell me this course, which was very expensive at that time. It was costing some 1100 rupees or 1200 rupees. And I knew that was very expensive. So I told him, yes, I will join your course, but give me a job. And he told me, "You come first in the class, I'll give you a job." That's what I did. I went, came first in the class, and my first job started with that company where I was a programmer for one and a half years. So I was nice. doing my masters uh, on the side. But uh, thanks to my father, used to worry about my career and all the time. And others, said, in order to please him, that I can do something on my own, I went and took up this job, which was not the most perfect job, but my boss at that time uh, was a very hard taskmaster so he used to scare the hell out of the two of us were 22 23 years old uh, another gen- friend of mine called norman tellis and my boss uh, he used to go out to visit clients or whatever it is he used to come back at 5:30 in the evening just when the office was closing and this was in nairman point you know the, the business district in mumbai we were in Something floor of, one of the skyscrapers, he will come at 5:30, exactly when everybody's packing to go home. He'll call us to his cabin and said, What have you done? So he'll look at our program and said, What rubbish is this? I don't care. I need you to correct. And he used to make a lot of red marks with his pen and say, I don't care. I need this corrected and running at 9.30 in the morning tomorrow when I come to work. And that that basically may, meant that your night was gone. Ah, so then me and my friend Norman used to sit the whole night. We had one, one personal computer at, in the office and we used to work on a very old database program called dbase2, which had only 32 fields in it. So when you start indexing that database, it used to take three hours. So what we used to do is we used to take turns. I'll say, Norman, let me finish my program and let me allow it to compile and then the database used to get indexed, which used to take three hours. He would do the same thing. So both of us will leave it to indexing, go down, go down the marine drive, get the sea breeze, come back at about 8.39 at night and finish the compilation. That's how my programming career started.
0: Interesting. I think the perk was the marine drive walk.
1: Yes. And we yeah. used to get... Bin- we used to get dinner money. So at least uh, the boss at that time was good with uh, uh, giving us dinner money. So we used to have ice creams and dinner. and But that really helped us learn computer programming. So I, I have to thank uh, my first ever boss, Jude De Sousa, for for his help with this.
0: Yeah, that's a nice story to start. But after that, I know that you did take on different roles, different places, different organizations. So how was that? From two perspectives. You know, one was what was the usual trigger for you to change? Was it a push or a pull? And second, while you had these triggers, what helped you choose?
1: I think at some time my first, if I summarize my first 10 years, was really the curiosity to learn new new computer languages and be a better programmer. So I was always very good at breaking down a problem, and ensuring that uh, I solved it. So to me, my the reason I ran away from my first job was really a very, very tough boss. He taught me a lot, but I had, I think both my my colleague uh, Norman and I had matured well enough to know that we can do better. So we ran away from the job more to find something which is more conducive to our well-being and health. And I joined a company which was just starting and uh, that company really exploited uh, my ability to take initiative. For example, in the second company I worked, uh, the personal computer was coming into the desks of executives and all these companies like Colgate, Palmolive, the Industrial Development Bank of India, Reliance, wanted training for their people on how to use the computer. So I think some reason the CEO of this company it was a very small company I was employee number eight in that company it was a small consulting boutique firm and they exploited my ability to communicate and I went uh, I had a hell of a uh, really a wonderful time for about two years I did two things during the day I used to be a computer programmer I used to work for marquee clients like Pfizer India where I helped with auto processing and voicing they were Autom- automating their all their warehouses and distribution centers. And I actually helped in their whole order processing, invoicing, advanced payroll, developing on their personal computers. I was a consultant to Citibank, which had one of the biggest mainframes at that time in India called the Prime Computer. I'm sure you you would have worked with Borough so you would know the Prime Computer. And I, because I knew basic, they Citibank had a Back-end banking system called Cosmos. And I became an expert in working on the Cosmos backend. So I was always sent as a consultant to Citibank to work on their back-end Cosmos banking systems. I did a variety of projects there. So that was my morning job. Then my second job was really going to these companies like Colgate Palmolive. I'll give you an example. Colgate Palmolive appointed our company to help them train all their executives on the precursor to what we have as Excel, which was Lotus One Two Three. So I use, I taught 25 executives, all VPs and directors of, of Colgate Pamoleo, how to use Excel, how to use WordStar. I trained uh, executive admins who were typists how to use WordStar on the computer, which really helped me because I got to know how the personal computer was coming into the corporate rooms of the company. So. That's why I call myself as a second generation of a software professional in India, because I think people like you and others went in to work on projects abroad and how we, we were using Indian resources, while I really went into the computerization of the Indian workplace. I helped in training people on how to use uh, the next generation secretaries and admins. I helped uh, finance people to use uh, the Precursor to Excel, which was Lotus 123, I helped people using databases to build small programs. So that was the exciting time. Uh, and going back to your initial question, as usual, as I'm always looking for change. So after doing this for a few years, I had an opportunity to, I got recruited into a company where I learned the mainframe. So you asked me why did I change the job? Not that I was not doing badly in this job, but now. Hey, the curiosity of learning a new mainframe. So I was taught IBM mainframe. I decided, uh, okay, I, I've learned the prime. I know how to use the PC. Now let's learn IBM. So I learned uh, uh, online transaction processing. I learned the DB2 relational databases. And I and that helped me because it at once I was sent to the US in the late 1980s. I was sent to the United Nations in New York to help convert their existing general ledger system from a old DOS MVSE to the MBS system. So going back to your question, change happened because I, I was willing to say, okay, let me learn something new. And that was the trigger to go to a new job, learn a new new language, new operating system. And that gave me a chance to go for my first visit abroad. And I had a hell of a, a very good time for for seven months living in New York City all alone and visiting with uh, United Nations. And even today, I tell my children, I was there in the United Nations when Nelson Mandela made his first trip after his prison to UN. And even today, I still remember sitting in a room next uh, next to and watching him give that session to the UN General Assembly, right? Those are things which I today remember lovingly about my first ever trip to the United States.
0: In some of these changes, you've also been working on different domains. So how did you equip yourself with so many new things, new company, new customer, and also a new business domain that you were working on? Yeah, I think the,
1: the thing which, which happened, at, uh, which intersected with the growth of software and technology is so when PCs came, I was involved with per- personal sub computer software. Then I did client server programming, the old version of CICS, which was online transaction processing, using a database at the back end. Then when we got into client server, I learned the C programming language. I learned the C++. So I moved from being a programmer to understanding the nuances of how computer architectures and design work and how do you you design a, a client server system. From client server, we went into a distributed system. So I started learning object-oriented C++ and understanding Windows because Windows came in 1990. So from a technical growth point of view, my growth became more, I would say, more mature and evolved in terms of how do you design more complex systems? How do you start using some of the technical architectures and designs and others? So that was always my interest. From a customer point of view, I think, thanks to a lot of my managers, and I give credit to them, they understood that this person from India can communicate, right? So I was sent very early to, I was sent to United Nations. I was then came back. uh, I lost my dad. So I decided I don't need to travel. I wanted to stabilize the family. So I decided to be in India. So then they allowed me to to go to Asia Pacific. So I I went to Thailand, uh, was a relationship manager in one of the banks there because first I was a consultant to Citibank, then I became an employee of Citibank. For India, I spent time in Thailand really taking requirements from customers there because they soon realized that even though I was technical, I was very good at probably understanding the business and understanding customers. So it gave me an opportunity to work closely with, uh, with the business folks to understand how the process works. And I became good at that. And then I used to come back to India and, lead that project to completion because i as i said i didn't want to go go away from india so i used india as a base but then i spent three months in thailand and then i came back i was posted in singapore for a year again the same way work with business customers but really working with the team back in india where the team was actually developing the platform the product and others so i think i became very focused on how do you build products so even though i i spent first 16 years of my career in India, I've never worked in in a way where I've taken a project and said, I will work on a project. I've always worked because I was closely tied with banking. I started understanding how products are built because when you work with these large back-end banking systems and others, it's never developing a new thing. It's always enhancing something and how do you start extending your product? So I, uh, I think I learned the the skills of product development at that time. Does that answer your question, uh, Shiv? I, I hope uh, that's how I I learned skills not just in the software domain, but I learned skills on how to interact with customers, how to how to take the requirements and translate it into what today we call as software products.
0: Yeah, definitely. So a related thing about learning is also your transition from an individual contributor to a lead and a manager and also you know, taking on these senior roles where you have global teams that you lead. How have those transitions been and how have you internalized those?
1: I think at some point in my career, I the concept of being a manager attracted me, uh, especially because I, was, I had done my management studies and I had managers who were good and bad. So at some point, uh, I think uh, I... Uh, the reason I decided to be a manager and that I think came probably about six years, seven years, uh, six years into my career is uh, I was given a title of a lead and I was given about three or four young software programmers to mentor and help them. And I didn't do a good job because they, I think we used to argue all the time and I didn't know how to even mentor a small but then when I grew, I it soon realized that uh, software development is a team sport. It is not actually an individual sport, right? So software development is how do you as a team understand what you need to do? And that really attracted me to saying, okay, can we do more? And I think it was my first role as a, or a second role as a manager where we as a team had a very, very tough deadline to develop a new version of a product for, for the bank, which we were doing within, within two months. And that uh, stretched my ability to understand what each person's strengths are and what my strength is. And so giving away took me some time on saying, I don't have to do everything because I still remember one of my managers said, Raghu, you're not a superman. You need a help, you need to ask. So I still remember that comment because he said, you think you can solve everything, but none of us uh, none of us are supermen. You are not a superman. So don't ask for help when you need to. And I think that helped me in my evolution as a leader because then I used to ask people when I met them, my team, to say, what help do we need? For? Are you struggling with this and others? That helped me grow. Today, when I look at my growth, I think I still a little bit of a micromanager even though i i lead a team which is large and i have very good leaders uh, sometimes i try to get involved in the details i don't think that will go away from my dna but at some point i've i've trained my leaders to my immediate direct reports to say the moment you see that i am overbearing on something call time out and say ragu You don't want to. So what I've learned over the last 10 years is to be very open with my weaknesses, with my team. And I trust my team to stop me when I go into areas which they know will take me into a place which they don't like or I don't like. So a lot of times, even this morning, one of my vice presidents told me, Ragu, let me finish. I let me do that. And then at once, now I've trained my mind to say, okay, I'm going into a path which probably is my weakness. Let me stop from doing it. So I think I've grown more as a manager and a leader to understand what I'm good at. I'm very good at uh, thinking through huge problems and finding a way out. And I always, uh, if I think of a personal brand, I think I'm a good execution person. I'm a very good, today, I have been known as Raghu can get things done. So whenever there's a difficult problem in any company, a lot of times people will say, ask Raghu to do it because he can get it done. I may not know the subject. I may not know who can solve it, but I will dig into that problem and do it. So I know that's my strength. My weakness is I try getting into too much details all the time. And I now in my current role, I need to come back and say, I have enough people who will take care of it. Let me,
0: let me go back. It's interesting that on one hand, you said your tendency of micromanaging, you're becoming aware and then trying to curtail it. But you also use the term Raghu is someone who will get it done. So getting it done obviously means that you are not a Superman, but you are achieving the results of a Superman. Now, to do that, I'm curious, with a globally distributed team, different cultures, time zones, work practices, styles, and all that, how do you stay in touch? And how do you sense what they need so that you can provide them the support to get things done?
1: I'm not a hierarchical person. So the one mechanism I use, which I would suggest to everybody is I spend a lot of time on uh, one-on-one. So if you look at my weekly calendar, and this is something which I learned about t- 10, 15 years back when I was working at Dell, one of my leaders, incredible gentleman, I can I can name him in this call. His name is Ahmed Mahmood. Uh, he's now the CIO of Gentle Motors. He used to be the VP for... For Dell, he will spend enough time knowing about you and usually people will not leave him. So, when he moves within the company to a different role, 1,000 people will go with him. So, he has this ability to motivate and amass huge amounts of people. And I learned a lot from him in terms of understanding an individual as a person. So, he, I still remember my first day in the job, it was the day of Thanksgiving, but he came even though he was on vacation he came he spent an hour with me and then for the next six months he used to spend an hour with me knowing about me knowing how I'm I'm getting involved with this complex environment like Dell and I took that learning from him so I spent a lot of time with one-on-ones with my team for example I don't care uh, last night I was talking to one of my agile senior managers who was struggling with uh, Uh, how do we use our agile we are using a consultancy firm and what are the next steps for that that company so i said okay let me call you so at uh, eight in the night yesterday i called china and i spent about 45 minutes understanding what she's going through now she doesn't report to me she reports two levels below me but i don't care because i know she was i had already heard from my director she's under stress and she's worried about how to meet your expectations, Ragu, of this agile transformation. So I spent 30, 40 minutes and then I had to encourage her to say, you're doing a great job. These are tough concepts. These are some things which I am also changing my mind. Your manager is changing the mind and do it. So going back to your question, I think it is very critical, especially in these times of COVID, that you continue to talk to people. And I also... Use a concept. Today we are using a concept in you know, my team, which is which started in France. So I have a huge team in France, in Grenoble, in France, and they started during COVID. They started this called virtual coffee hour, and this is probably once in two months. You bring everybody together, and they started in France, and they invited me to one of them, and I liked it, and I, we replicated it all over the world. So the virtual coffee hour is one hour talking about everything except work. We won't talk about work. We won't talk about jobs and others, but we'll talk about families. We'll talk about what people are going through. In the last coffee hour I had with China, I talked, showed them pictures of my son's wedding. I talked about how the tradition is in India. I think that thing is what has kept us sane during this COVID crisis because people have gone through various stages of grief and toughness and taking care of their families, taking care of their children. Yeah, uh, Especially in China, people love coming to work. So when we did a survey there in China, 95% wanted to come back to work. While in the US, Hmm. uh, 80% didn't want to come back to work. They wanted virtual. So when we did the survey, it became very apparent that the needs of your team in various parts of the world is different. So uh, going back to your question, I think relating to the people at their individual level, What motivates them? How you can relate to what their aspirations are? I think that becomes the most important responsibility. And that is the pressure I put on myself to say, even if I have to spend hours talking, I need to relate to every individual person in my team. Uh, It does not matter. The hierarchy does not matter who they report to. And hopefully that that has helped people in terms of dealing with everything. So everybody goes through the same problems you and I have gone through in, in, in career. You, you, are, you doubt yourself sometimes. You doubt your own abilities. Uh, sometimes you are in a better mood. So how do you do that? Sure.
0: So how do you interact with, I wouldn't want to call it dealing with, ragus in your team? That is people who are looking for new challenges, people who are curious, people who are energetic, who want to do more things. Is it the same kind of approach, or is there anything different for that?
1: So we we have taken. Uh, I think uh, ragus in the world offer the way I would look at it is I I don't believe in the status quo, and uh, there are enough ragus in my team who don't believe in the status quo. So they are always not happy with what how I as ragu lead this team, and I I invite that I frankly invite that dissonance and i invite that uh, that challenge to say i can do better do we satisfy everybody's need for that no because at some point you use the word deal sometimes you have the organizational structures and the policies and the process okay sometimes you have to go with what what you don't want to agree with sometimes not that i agree with everything what what my company is doing but I know that is what is needed at this moment so I would I would probably maybe quieten that dissonance in terms of whatever the team wants to do in other ways we allow for I'm hoping I'm hoping that my team we allow for innovation enough innovation to happen to say let me try something and fail and a lot of times I still remember when I first came into this job about four years back there were certain sections of the team who are worried that I'm going to change out the whole leadership team I'm going to fire people and others and I said no that's not my intent but no one really believes you when you come into that and you say that's not your intent they don't believe it now I have been in the same role for four years and two months I've done the same role a lot of times when I talk to those people who were disbelievers I say hey you are in the same role for years you have grown to this you did this do you still do now do you believe that my job for asking for change was not for changing the people around but asking for change as a team and not not the people involved right the people can change but it's others but then you have to build that trust Shiv it doesn't come overnight because even today there are people who will say who don't like the ragus of the world because they like harmony and they like everybody to get along well together but some of think if you if you want change and you want to transform then you should have enough
0: ragus in your team yeah so now this is from a, a ragus perspective if i am a ragu in a team and with all these different say information or misinformation that i'm exposed to whether it is everybody says it is robotics. Everybody says AI, ML, I have to learn that and be technical or become an architect, or should I be a manager? Or no, what is it that I want to do differently that is going to help me in my career? So these kind of questions keep coming up pretty much all the time. How can I still stay focused in what my team is doing? Because as long as I'm playing, I have a role to play in the team. At the same time, not accept status quo or become complacent?
1: I would say the way everybody has to do it on their own. And the way I like to look at it is, I like to ask people to answer four questions. What am I good at? So the first question you ask ask yourself is, I have some experience, whether it's two years, five years, or I'm a friend, what am I good at? So answer that truth. You don't have to send it to everybody answer yourself what you're good at second thing is what are you not good at so if you ask me i am not very good at executive presentations i struggle struggle putting thoughts in in one slide in a visual manner i have improved on it over time because i have to do that in my role to present to executives but I know that I need help there. I need, so what am I not good at? So going back to your question, whether I want to be a manager or whether I want to be technical, uh, let's first look at, yes, I want to be a manager, but what is it I like doing or what is it I'm good at or what I'm not good at? The third and fourth questions are, what do I like doing? And the fourth question is, what I don't like to do, okay? That you need to start, if you use that template, And then you start saying, what does Raghu or Shiv want to do one year from now? What do you want five years from now? I hope you will focus on what you're good at. You may be good at something, you may not like it. Okay. What do you like doing? And if you look at those two axes as how do I minimize what I'm not good at or what I don't like to do? and get to a role, whether it's a manager, whether it's a technical architect or others, what I like doing, and what am I good at, I think you can find your career growth, whatever that is.
0: Yeah, that's really nice and very concisely put. So while I would like to continue our conversation, in the interest of time, I have to do something that I don't like to bring this to a close. So we normally close with the guests sharing any perspectives for people who want to choose IT as a career, whether there is still a career in IT with all this talk of automation and everything else? I think
1: look at IT as a career to really, if you are curious, if you are a curious person and want to learn the application of technology, I would say it's a very exciting field to be. Uh, And I think uh, do not worry about your education or others. I think uh, Technology and IT has pervaded every part of our life and find a way to contribute any way you can to this adoption of technology in every facet of our life. That's what I would say. So there's exciting times ahead for the young people of today. The evolution of AI, the evolution of how we would look to see the future of work, especially if you look at the positives out of the COVID environment, how would how the future of work look like? How do you have a more harmonious life of not trying to say you go to work? So the concept of going to work with being at work and being at home are not two different things. So I think the evolution of technology in terms of these new concepts which are coming and how we could make life easier and make it more pleasant for for people to spend time on what, what attracts them and using IT and technology to enable that, I would say is very exciting for the current generation and the next generations to come, I think, Shiv.
0: Yeah, that's nice. So on that positive note, uh, thank you, Raghu, for uh, making the time so early in the morning on a Thursday, as you said, which is probably the toughest day for you and sharing your thoughts.
1: No, thank you so much, Shiv. I appreciate the way uh, giving me this opportunity. More importantly, I hope... Uh, uh, you will allow me one day to have reverse the roles, and I can I can be the one who uh, discovers
0: your journey. Absolutely, but you need to be prepared to keep listening on and on that because I think once we get to talking, there may be so many stories. And that's one of the reasons for this podcast. Okay. I find every person has not only one story but so many stories to tell, and yeah, it would be a pleasure to do it one of these days. Thanks, Shiv. Thanks, Ragu. <laughs>